0: Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. It is June 8th, 2020. And what we are seeing is what I warned in May we will be seeing a lot of confusion, a lot of things that don't make sense. And the faces of those that are against everything American are starting to show, starting to show for who they really are and what they really stand for. It makes us feel sad because we are all responsible for it because we didn't do anything when we could. We just thought, oh, whatever. The thing that most people are concerned about is their ability to be heard. And that is something that a lot of people have expressed to me as a major concern. How are we going to be heard? I don't think the president is listening. And that circles back to what I've said. He is surrounded by the swamp. He is surrounded by the deep state We see generals violating their oaths, but it's because they make money. I mean, you're retired now, right? You're retired and you need to make money. So you make money off of the people that have been paying your salary that you swore to defend. Nobody told you to sign up. You signed up. We're in a nation where we get to decide if we want to defend our country or not, whereas other nations have it uh, more of an obligation. Here we decide. So much craziness. All this stuff coming out about the Russia hoax. We have mayors and governors calling for the dismantlement of their own police. And you're like, what? This is where the police should stand and show. They're not, exp- you know, they're not uh, a unit unit of operation within a city or state that's disposable, you guys. I mean, seriously, if I was a New York PD commissioner, I'd switch all 911 calls to head over to de Blasio's cell phone and city hall and say, sorry, man, you don't need us, right? See ya. I spoke with some police in my area. One of them took the, well, I took an oath and I'm not going. And I was like, that's not the point, dude. Don't get on your righteous horse. This is a time where you put your foot down. And say, I've been underpaid all this time. We have high turnover of cops. We don't screen them like we used to. And not screening like background checks, like, you know, head checks. Let's be honest. The majority of the people that go into the PD, uh, are either public servants by nature because they want to serve people. And I think that's an innate quality all of us have. And that just stands down to where it's cultivated by, uh, you know, your environment, how, um, you know, you're raised. Are you raised to serve others or serve yourself? Um, but most of them, the majority over 75%, Our former military. And let's not forget what service members have been through in the past decade. PTSD, changes in personality. These are things that happen because of what Barack Hussein Obama did. Mm, Ambush. Now we're not talking about the wars. We're talking about other stuff. I mean, for example, did you know that over 80% of our military that had gone... To Basra, suffer from fibromyalgia. This is not, you know, something, you know, that I want to delve into right now, but this is something that we should be thinking about. I mean, let's not forget how in the 70s, where did they test out the new flu vaccine? Are you getting where I'm going with this? Because the whole point. Of the previous two administrations was to weaken our military and have us more dependent on global organs or organizations or groups and this is why the one thing that we should do is pull out of all these international groups I mean the president pulled us out of the International Criminal Court we're not gonna have them come into our house and tell us what's right and what's wrong especially when the head of your board you know committed genocide in his own nation we don't need the who they released the virus. I don't care what anybody says. Yes, it was genetically modified. Yes, it was stuff that China was doing in a level four lab. We're doing the same thing in our labs. So let's just stop saying, oh, you're doing it. We're doing it too. Okay. Bio warfare. Next step. Next step, warfare <sighs> that we've tested on our own people, but that's a topic for another conversation. So These international organizations are constantly in there. I mean, I, I, you know, we've forfeited, we had forfeited our military and depended on others who really don't have militaries, but whatever, because they wanted to create this global coalition of people just standing together as a unified humanity or human race, which isn't the case because it's not like they're all run by them, but okay, digress again. We have so much going on and it's so confusing for everyone. Where do I sit? Do I pay attention to the fact that Hillary Clinton lost her case and she's going to be testifying? Great. What about Rod Rosenstein's rubbish? These people, why aren't they in jail? Why is the media lying? Why do we have domestic terrorism? How do we have people sitting in Congress and in the Senate advocating to dismantle our police? How are governors that are under siege, that are being set on fire also advocating for the dismantlement of their police force and defunding them. And the police just sit there. That's because, and here's where the shocker comes in. And I demonstrated it with one example when there are many, and that story is coming. But it is people within the police departments that aid these organizations of domestic terror, this is not something lightly to be taken. It's not like a light topic, right? But your very own police officers, your very own chiefs of police, your own people within the ranks that are there to defend you are supporting riots, are supporting this, uh, I want to say, anarchist movement. And it's not just that. They're targeting your kids. I told you this. We've been sitting there undercover. Watching all of this stuff. And Millie Weaver put out a video yesterday. If you haven't seen it, you should go to her YouTube channel and support her work. Uh, obviously, YouTube is not supporting her anymore. She has been completely defunded. But this is pretty interesting. We have teachers, obviously, Teach America. Teach America is funded by George Soros, funded by all these you know, crazy institutions that have been hijacked. Well, they were movements that were hijacked, hijacked movements. That is exactly what happened. Hijacking of movements. That's what we see. Hijacking of movements. And how were they hijacked? Money, penetration, teach America. I referred to that a very, very long time ago to let you know what that really means. Remember, Daniel J. Jones, who is one of the key orchestrators of this Russia hoax, from the steel dossier to the Ukrainian complaint, you name it, he's done it. Before he got his first, air quote, job in the FBI, he was working at Teach America. So what people don't seem to understand is that this infiltration and what we're seeing today shamelessly being pushed Has been a project in the making for a very, very, very long time. They have been infiltrating everything. Our police force, our FBI, we've seen it. Justice Department, seen it. Intelligence community, definitely seen it. And, you know, and even our children being groomed to hate authority, being groomed to hate anyone else. And these are the people screaming that segregation is a problem, yet they create breakout rooms for those that are black, those that are persons of color that are not black, white people, and everybody else. I kid you. Oh, LGBTQ. Because apparently that's a race too. This is the insanity that we're going for. I'm just going to play the first minute and a half of Millie's video The breakout must, of riot you must listen and watch this video. The next one's gonna be much more fun, too.
1: The breakout of riots
2: in Minneapolis, Minnesota was a powder keg long in the making. The evidence for pre-planning and setting up a situation for a disaster is overwhelming. What you are about to see is part of a two-year undercover investigation into the leftist radicalization embedded within the climate justice movements. One in particular, the Sunrise
3: Movement. These like escalations, these actions can be really, really dangerous. Uprisings, including including actions like burning buildings, um, are legitimate and powerful forms of resistance. So last night, when that police station went up in flames,
4: me and my girlfriend,
1: we, we poured shots. We were happy.
0: This moment in history is a coin toss between freedom and fascism. That is what they say. And you know what? Sitting there, watching those classes, attending those classes, man, I could tell you, slit your wrists is is way up on that list. Pulling your hair way up on that list. Way up on that list. It is the most horrific thing ever. And we have people in the House and the Senate claiming that this is the only way forward and this is what we must do. They have infiltrated us beyond belief. You cannot imagine how hard of an infiltration this is. It is horrible. It is sad. But it's fixable. You know why? Because we're not silent anymore. We're speaking and we have to rise above the cloak of silence we have to keep pushing and pushing message after message don't do those trains don't do those trains those trains are complete obfuscation they they clog the network that is operation gridlock do not say oh retweet me this or oh i need this no make your voice heard make sure you're amplifying make sure you're talking You see an article you like, push it. See a meme you like, push it. You do you. Do not follow, push it. So we flood the internet with facts because they are silencing us like nobody's business. June 2nd, I posted a video from a Black Lives Matter guy on my Facebook page showing a woman getting down on her knees. Three, four days later, even yesterday, Mainstream media is posting it, how shameful it is to make a white woman get on her knees. But for me, Facebook had it fact-checked by some organization in Belgium that's a blogger, not even news, called Knack saying, oh, it's misrepresenting. Um, no, it's not. It's exactly what they want. They had people washing feet of, uh, it's just disgusting. This is a cult and this is how they work. All the while, while all this chaos is happening, you know, these riots, this coronavirus, we have 9-11 judges resigning in March, right? They all early retirement. January, 2021, those trials start and I want to see Bush take the hot seat. I want people to be accountable for that. Why has it taken 20 years? 20 years. Years. To hold them accountable for that? <laughs> you know what's funny? March 25th, uh, the third judge retired and, a, and, and an independent assessment from the university, I think it was in Alaska, came out that Building 7 was exploded. <laughs> right? That it was like, you know, controlled demolition. No fire made it melt. And yet here we are talking about other things. But how can we not? Distractions, that's what's key. Keep you distracted from what? The core of things. I'll tell you what. If I could have a big fat broom and choose one place in the nation, one agency to clean up, believe it or not, it wouldn't be the intelligence community. Nope. Not even the Justice Department. Nope, nope, nope. Not the FBI. Not the White House. It would be the State Department. The State Department would be my goal. So we're going to discuss all of these things along with, you know, <laughs> other issues that may arise um, throughout this show today. And so grab yourself a cup of coffee. If you're driving, pay attention to the road. I'll try not to say anything sensationalist, but where should we start today today? I think we should start with the current events before I take you back in time so you can see just how the future is going to be coming out with it. Because while we're distracted with all of these, none of us are paying attention to what's going on. The reality of things. The reality that our nation is on life support, and we have one man in the office who I believe most recently hired someone new. Who is it within your office that you brought in from someone else thinking they're a good guy? They just screwed you. So how is it and what are we missing? Take a listen to this snake and what he had to say I want to say he wants his seat. He wants not to go to jail.
5: And that was Rod Rosenstein testifying in front of Lindsey Graham this past week. Joining me right now is the senator, Senator Lindsey Graham, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, Senator, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. That was your question on whether or not Andrew McCabe (laughs) lied to Rosenstein. Do you see Rosenstein breaking away from Andrew McCabe? What's your reaction to what took place last week?
6: I was pretty stunned. So Rosenstein said, I signed the warrant, but I did not know anything about the underlying documentation being altered. And I did not know that the central document to get the warrant, the Steele dossier, had been disavowed in January. Because if anybody signs this warrant application knowing that the Russian subsource disavowed the reliability of the Steele dossier and that the Department of State lawyer altered email if they knew that, they would be going to jail themselves. So I'll call McCabe. I find it hard to believe that McCabe and Comey did not know that the Russian subsource told the FBI in January, oh, by the way, the document you're using to get a warrant against Carter Page, the Steele dossier, is a bunch of hearsay, bar talk, and garbage. That's why they will eventually be called before
7: the committee
5: so let me just bring you this statement from andrew mccabe after your hearing senator because mccabe is firing back he says this mister rosenstein's claims to have been misled by me or anybody from the fbi regarding our concerns about president trump and the campaign's interactions with russia are completely false mister rosenstein approved of and suggested ways to enhance our investigation of the president further i personally briefed mister rosenstein on jim comey's memos describing his interactions with the president somebody's lying here you going to call Andrew McCabe to testify in front of your committee?
6: Uh, Just as sure as the sun uh, rises and sets, I will. And here's what I would say to Mr. McCabe. In the uh, warrant application by the FBI and Department of Justice to the FISA court, you said that the Russian subsource was truthful and cooperative. Uh, Inspector General Horowitz found a memo about the interview with the Russian subsource, saying that the Russian subsource disavowed all the information in the dossier, that it wasn't reliable, that it was bar talk, it was hearsay, it shouldn't be used to get a warrant. Uh, So at the end of the day, the FISA court rebuked the Department of Justice and the FBI, and I want to call every person who signed that warrant and have them account for what they knew and when they knew it. We're not going to let the system blame some low-level, uh intel analyst or case agent for defrauding the court i believe it goes up to the very top and i'm going to get to the bottom of it and that means sally yates and rosenstein and mccabe and comey are all going to come before the committee and they're going to be asked what did you know and when did you know it
5: do you think we're going to see jail time here i mean they can't all say i didn't know it right (laughs)
6: <laughs> well, you see, that's the point of, uh, of Senator Hawley was very frustrated. He, he looked at Rosenstein and says, well, if it's not your fault, who is it? He says, I'm accountable and I'm not to blame. Jail time would, would lie with anybody who had knowledge that the Russian dossier, the subsource, disavowed the Steele dossier. Remember, McCabe and Horowitz said, the IG, that if you didn't have the Russian dossier, you wouldn't get a warrant because they tried to get the warrant on an occasion before it was turned down it was mccabe said there's a document in new york you might want to use against carter page it was the steel dossier they never tried to verify it they used it all the way through june of twenty seventeen but the problem is in january twenty seventeen the russian subsource appeared Uh, for three days before FBI agents and said this is a bunch of garbage. So uh, we're going to find out what happened, and I'm not going to let these people blame some low-level agent or intel analyst unless that's the truth, and I don't think it is the truth.
5: So what you're saying is if they knew in January of 2017 that the dossier was garbage and the guy from Russia who brought them the dossier to Christopher Steele also disavowed of the dossier, and yet they still used it to continue right. getting uh, re- re-warrants, re-upped warrants for Carter Page, then that was fraud yeah. and that, you, you think that could mean jail time if you can prove that right. they knew it and they used it anyway? I, 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 absolutely.
6: And well, Durham's looking at this. What did Horowitz tell us? He found a memo in the file where the intel analyst who interviewed the subsource said that subsource denied the details in the dossier, that he didn't provide all this. He doesn't know where some of it came from. And a lot of it was just hearsay, bar talk, not accurate. So you'd have to believe that one of the most important investigations in the history of the FBI, a sitting president, that the system was denied information about a three-day interview where the subsource disavowed the primary document i find that hard to believe but that's what we're going to be looking at and again yeah if the case agent intel agent told higher higher ups that this whole case is falling apart and they kept going forward then they're in trouble with the law
5: yeah Senator, are you going to interview those case agents that actually spoke with the subsource source uh, from, from the Russian dossier? Are you gonna interview the FBI agents, those four individuals, these low-level individuals you're I've saying been asked you, to interview who may or may the, not. Uh, I Yeah.
6: I've made a request to interview the case agent and the intel analyst and there were two other people who interviewed the subsource for three days in January, again in March, and again in May, and they're denying me the ability to do that. I'm gonna keep working the system. Attorney General Barr has been the most transparent attorney general in my lifetime. Uh, Grinnell released a lot of information, but why did they run all these stop signs? The question is, did the case agent and the intel agent refused to tell the system about exculpatory information. Does the fault lie with two or three people, or was it a system out of control? Here's what I think. Every time there was a stop sign for Carter Page or Flynn, the system moved forward because the people at the top did not want to stop. When General Flynn, Mm -hmm. uh, in January the 4th, the FBI wanted to clear General Flynn because there was no there there regarding him working with the Russians, That's when the January 5th meeting occurred.
0: Stop. Let's stop. One second. Didn't Lindsey Graham have a copy of the dossier in October of 2016? Yes, he did. He and his buddy Reed had it. So why is he saying all these things? What skin is he trying to save?
6: It was the seventh floor that wanted to continue to look at General Flynn, not the actual agents in the field.
5: Yep. Well, we all want accountability and we are certainly grateful. The audience is grateful to you, Senator, for starting up those here.
0: No one is grateful to him because he started this whole thing up too. He and McCain. And this is why you can see from his body language, he's closing his eyes. He's focusing on reading things. It is all a show. Please grab your popcorn while you tweet Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Everything. Talk to your neighbors in the elevator, on the street, on the bus, on the train. Let them see the light. Let them wake up. It is our job to talk. They are simply putting on a show for you. All of that, (laughs) and no one's arrested yet. You see what I'm saying? And now we're busy with what? Riots and coronavirus which, by the way, one of the biggest shams ever, what they need to worry about is anonymous. Not Q. Anonymous. Because cybersecurity, ha, now that's a protest that nobody can overcome, especially when their actors are embedded within our own agencies. We'll talk about that right after the break, and we're going to get into a few more things in regards to the threats that we will be seeing coming to fruition soon. But it all ends Labor Day.
8: The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America, we will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable.
7: After nearly four years, my family's nightmare is finally over. We couldn't have survived this without the love and support of the millions of patriots around the world thank you from the bottom of our heart
9: hi i'm laura loomer and i'm running for congress in florida's 21st congressional district wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite you might think that could never happen in america but it did and to me For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority.
0: All right, welcome back, everyone. So, in this half hour, we're going to realize what the threat that will be coming is and what we're going to see. Aside from the fact that we're going to have a recycling of this coronavirus, because they're really trying to hold on to that. They like people in the house, they like people being broke, they like people not being able to work, they love the economy being crushed, but it's just not going to make the cut. So, instead, we're going to say, Hey, George. Nice to meet you. Here we go. Riots number two. And how long will those last? Because, you know, I'm going to take a moment for a second and just say, there are a lot of groups of people, as you heard in Millie Weaver's video, this undercover investigation has been going on for over two years. Patience is a virtue. (laughs) and I've been saying it for over two and a half years. I am very impatient. But one thing people need to know is that there are a lot of people working <laughs> and I stand by it. When people find out what Q is, they're going to be upset because for some reason they have some fantasy of who, what, when, and where, and what it's not, it's not, that is not the case. And all the communications are there, are they're not for any average person, for example, in 2018, I wrote an article titled, uh, under, uh, unmasking and, uh, you know, uh, who was a, uh, uh, unmasking and methods. There we go. And in there I had pictures and I referred to people. And even though it said unmasking in the title, there was nothing about really unmasking within the article because the article wasn't intended just for, you know, people to read, It was intended for a different audience that knew exactly what to look for. And now, two and a half years later, all you have to do is look at that article and see the word unmasking and Ambassador Teff's face. Clearly tells you what I was saying. Here is where the major unmasking happened from Ambassador Teff, who was our U.S. ambassador in Russia that had the spy that I also wrote about. Now we go to George Soros. I wrote an article in Big League Politics in 2018 where I was talking about Hurricane Electric, right? That is a server they use for Crossfire Hurricane. In there, I have screenshots, of an IP address clearly stating that the transition team emails were done by L3 Communications, which is partially owned by George Soros. Again, Those were Easter eggs. Those all information put out on the internet isn't intended for nones and just everyone only. People, teams have to communicate in different ways. I don't know how else to just be transparent about it and explain it. I mean, sometimes people tell you who they are. You just don't want to listen. So what we need to understand is that this is irregular warfare. This is war. And like my article in 2015 that I wrote for HuffPo that was scrubbed, I said, this is going to be the most civilized civil war we have ever seen. And they didn't like that (laughs) because I think they clocked on to the Easter eggs that I had in there. But okay, (laughs) because it was going back to the 702 collections, but uh, hmm, whatever, right? So... I thought that I can tell you guys about, uh, actually there's a clip from Fox news where they talked about cybersecurity. They said cybersecurity expert on why hacker protests could be the government's biggest threat. Of course it is because most of those cyber threats are going to be coming from within the government itself.
10: Fairly easy to do. Uh, that's one of the biggest challenge with them in terms of it's a, it's something called an asymmetric attack where, Uh, It's very difficult to stop an attack from a cyber attack because, for example, if they have a a botnet where they take over thousands of computers and have them all attack a police website at the same time, it's very, very hard for the police department to determine which of those uh, requests are real and which of those are people trying to get information from the police station. I'm Marty Paranek and I'm CEO of Atlantic.net, a cloud hosting provider based in Florida. Well, it could be a threat on a number of fronts. Uh, The first is obviously they can deface or make inoperable, for example, police websites or other government uh, sites that people normal people use. There's a second order effect, which is if uh, the citizens lose confidence in uh, the government's ability to respond for second order effects. So things that you know, are outside the riots or protests um, such as a burglar or a home invasion, um, citizens may become more alarmed or you know, take matters into their own hands. So it's very important that the government is able to maintain the appearance that it's going to be responsive and available for when they're needed. Um, so I think it's something that they are looking to do. And it's something that everybody needs to be aware of. Typically when a website is defaced, they make it pretty obvious. Uh, so far it hasn't been something where it's been disinformation. Um, but typically if it was, when you connect to a police website, they usually will have the HTTPS. So you'll see kind of the green or, you know, sort of certif- that you're connecting to the actual website. So for example, if, Uh, a hacker group were to redirect the website to uh, impersonating website, it would would kind of show up in your uh, address bar in your browser. Um, But it can't hurt if you suspect something's wrong with it, it can't hurt to either call the department directly, uh, look at other sources that might have, for example, if you're trying to find the phone number to contact the police, you can usually Google and find other sites that have that phone number and make sure they match what you're seeing on the website. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an uptick in terms of bots and troll activity where you see the same tweets being sent out by multiple handles. Um, so there is definitely some kind of uh, disinformation campaign uh, going on, but that's pretty typical nowadays with any kind of social unrest or social event, uh, even with coronavirus. So um, it's something that people would be, need to be vigilant of and be aware that you know just because you read it online doesn't mean it's true. And just because 100 people say it doesn't mean it's true because those 100 people could all be fake. Um, Even if their profiles look real with images um, and locations and things like that. So people really need to make sure uh, they vet what they read and what they are willing to believe. Most important is that you don't listen to rumors or things you read online. Because like we talked about before, uh, tens of thousands of uh, bots could be retweeting things. So you might read it two, three, ten times and start thinking it's true if all these other people are saying it. But it's
0: Kind of like the way fake news work. Right? So I thought we could play the bar interview with Face the Nation that just um, happened a couple of days ago. I want you guys to listen to this. Thank you for making time for us.
11: Good to be here. Thank you, Margaret.
0: Um, a senior
4: administration official told our CBS's David Martin uh, that in a meeting at the White House on Monday morning, uh, the president demanded that 10,000 active duty troops be ordered into American streets. Is that accurate?
11: No, that's completely false. That's completely false. Uh, Sunday night- The president
4: did not demand that?
11: No, he did not demand that. What happened? I came over on on Monday morning for a meeting. The night before had been the most violent day. As one of the police officials told us, the D.C. police, it was the most violent day in Washington in 30 years, something that the media has not done a very good job of covering. Uh, And there had been a a riot right along uh, Lafayette uh, Park. I was called over and asked if I would coordinate federal civil agencies and that the Defense Department would provide whatever support I needed or we needed uh, to protect federal property, federal, at the White House, federal personnel. Uh, the decision was made to have at the ready and on hand in the vicinity some regular troops. But everyone agreed that the use of regular troops is a last resort, uh, and that as long as matters can be controlled with other resources, they should be. I felt. And the secretary of defense felt we had adequate resources and wouldn't need to use federal troops but in case we did we wanted them nearby there was never the uh, the president never asked or suggested that we needed to deploy regular troops at that point it's been done from time to time in our history we try to avoid it uh, and i'm happy that we were able to avoid it on this occasion
4: So there were active duty troops put on standby. They were not deployed. The 82nd Airborne was put on standby, but not sent into the streets.
11: Some 82nd uh, Airborne military police were brought into the area, but they were not brought into DC.
4: So what part, I just want to make sure that we're precise, what part of that conversation, as it's been relayed uh, to CBS and to other news organizations, is false? Did the president not demand active duty troops Well,
11: your question to me just a moment ago was, did he demand them on the streets? Did he demand them in D.C.? No, we had them on standby in case they were needed.
4: Right, which they were put on standby. They were not deployed. Right. So in our reporting, um, we were also told that you, the Defense Secretary Mark Esper, and General Milley all opposed the idea of actually deploying these active duty troops onto the streets. Is that accurate?
11: I think our position was common, uh, which was that they should only de- be deployed if, as a last resort, uh, and that we didn't think we would need them. Every, I think everyone was on the same page.
4: Do you think that the president has the authority to unilaterally send in active duty troops if the governors oppose it?
11: Oh, absolutely. The under the uh, Anti-Insurrection Act. Uh, the, the, the president can use regular troops uh, to suppress rioting the confederate the confederacy in our country opposed the use of federal troops to restore order and suppress an insurrection so the federal government sometimes doesn't listen to governors in circumstances
4: <laughs> the last time that this has happened was the la riots in 1992 when the governor of california asked for active duty troops You're saying your understanding and the law as you interpret it and would support is that the president has the ability to put active duty troops on American streets, even if governors object.
11: It's happened numerous times. And the answer to that is yes,
4: you would support that.
11: Well, it depends on the circumstances. I was involved in the L.A. riots and the Rodney King matter. We tried to use uh, non-military forces. I sent 2,000 federal law enforcement officers out there in one day, uh, but it was overwhelming, uh, and the National Guard couldn't handle it, and uh, Governor uh, Pete Wilson uh, asked for federal troops.
4: And he asked for it, though? Yes. That's a key distinction.
11: Or he, he approved the use of federal troops, but those troops were on standby as well.
4: Because I think a number of people would be surprised to hear, and it's been reported that you opposed sending in active duty troops on principle. You're saying you would support it?
11: As a last resort.
4: What is the last resort?
11: To restore law and order in, in, a, in a situation that is out of control and where life and property is endangered. And that's been done since the earliest days of the Republic. General Washington, the President, led the Army into the field to suppress rebellion uh, and an insurrection in Pennsylvania in the very first term of his administration. So it's been done periodically. Uh, when I was AG last time, we did it twice. We did it in the Virgin Islands. The governor opposed us at that point, but there was a complete breakdown of law and order. Lives were in danger. And we sent in 82nd Airborne Military Police along with U.S. Marshals and FBI agents. And then subsequently, uh, we did it in uh, California. I would also point out it was done during the civil rights era Mm -hmm. in places like Selma, Alabama and other places to integrate schools. The governors stood in the doorway. The governors did not approve the use of federal troops to enforce civil rights in the South.
4: So in this Monday meeting with the president, when the defense secretary, who has now publicly said that he opposed using the insurrection act, you said what to the president?
11: I don't think uh, the secretary of defense said he opposed it. I think he said uh, that it was a last resort and he didn't think it was necessary. I think we all agree that it's a last resort, but it's ultimately the president's decision. The, The reporting is completely false on this.
4: Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement?
11: I think there's racism in the United States still, but I don't think that the uh, law enforcement system is systemically racist. I understand the the distrust, however, of the African-American community, given the history in this country. Uh, I think we have to recognize that for most of our history, our institutions were explicitly racist. They denied equal rights to African-Americans.
4: Where are they now?
11: First under slavery, then under Jim Crow. I think since the, uh, the abolition of Jim Crow laws, which really didn't uh, get struck down completely until the 1960s, I think th- since that time, and, and, and so as a result of that, you know, the civil rights movement was largely uh, going, uh, you know, battling these institutions that were imposing racism. Since uh, the 1960s, I think we've been in a phase of reforming our institutions and making sure that they're in sync with our laws and aren't fighting a rear-guard action to impose inequities.
4: And you think that's working?
11: I think, I think the reform is a difficult task, but I think it is working, and progress has been made. I think one of the best examples is the military. The military used to be an explicitly racist institution, and now I think it's in the vanguard uh, of bringing the races together and providing equal opportunity I think law enforcement has been going th- through the same process and while it's a difficult process and while law enforcement is not monolithic in this country we have 50 states on a lot of local jurisdictions there's undeniable that progress is being made we have a generation of poli- police leaders in this country many of whom are now African American in our major cities who are firmly committed uh, to equal justice and to fair policing and uh, we've been working hard Hard on this, and I would say, you know, the president, before any of this happened was out in front on this issue. Not only did he uh, enact the First Step Act to bring uh, greater Mm -hmm. justice to the African-American community within the criminal justice system, but he set up the first commission on policing and the administration of justice since Lyndon Johnson to look at precisely these issues. And they have been working on these issues. And in the days and weeks ahead, we're going to be expanding those efforts and coming forward with concrete proposals
4: i take your point that it's not a monolithic system but the justice department is the backstop for a lot of these local governments when it comes to the issue of biased policing the trump administration's justice department has only opened one pattern or practice investigation into law enforcement agencies the past three administrations combined had almost 70. why hasn't this issue been a bigger
1: priority
11: well People, if you're skeptical that progress has been made, then you have to wonder what was the results of those 70 consent decrees and pattern and practice investigations. Either progress is being made or it isn't. And from our experience and greater academic research is showing this to be true.
0: Did you hear that? He said, "Okay, so you're saying the past administration had 70, right? Well, if you're asking why I haven't opened many of them, think. So are you saying those 70 didn't do anything? Or are you saying because if those 70 actually did something, then there's no need for more now, right? So this is how you boomerang their words. This is how you fix their narratives. He uh, should have just done it a little bit more layman,
11: though. Uh, that, that you can actually get more focused change and more real change by working uh, in more collaboration with the police, yeah, I saw that uh, Mayor uh, Emanuel, uh, Ra- uh, Rahm Emanuel, said, you know, recently that investigations should be done with police, not to police, to have any real effect. Uh, and we've been doing that. We th- we we are working with police departments to address use of force policies, you know, personnel policies, standards and practices. And we f- and we feel that we can make good. Progress that way without the collateral effects that some of these consent decrees have. There's been a recent study that's been talked about from Harvard that indicates that some of these, uh, the, the collateral consequences of these, have been. To, to make the police pull back and actually lead to more death, more murders, more crime. So we have to be prudent in how we approach this.
4: But you're saying you don't use this tool that you have because you don't think it's an effective no, we, one? You, no, the tool, Or because you think the problem's being solved No, on I'm the just same. saying
11: that just because we don't use that particular tool in every instance doesn't mean that we're not doing something about it. Actually I think what's happened in the past is that politicians can check the box by slapping a consent decree on a department. We're not interested in gestures. We're interested in getting real results and working with police chiefs uh, and, and, and and public safety directors and mayors who really do want to change this system. But we've never taken this off the table. We, we, we have that power. We will use that power. Uh, we just say that you, know, you have to be selective in how you apply it.
4: Do you think there should be some tweaking of the rules, reduced immunity, to go after some of the bad cops?
11: I don't think you need to reduce immunity uh, to to go after the bad cops, because that would result certainly in in police pulling back. You know, policing is the toughest job in the country, and I I frankly think that we have generally uh, the vast, overwhelming majority of police are good people. They're civic-minded people who believe in serving the public. They do so bravely. They do so righteously.
4: But and the bad cops. I, th-
11: I think that there are instances of bad cops, and I think we have to be careful about automatically assuming that the actions of an individual necessarily mean that their organization is rotten all organizations have people who engage in misconduct and you sometimes have to be careful as to when you ascribe that to the whole organization and when it really is some errant member who isn't following the rules but
4: doesn't the opening the pattern of practice investigation to a place like minneapolis where there are questions about the broader issues with policing it wasn't just the one officer wouldn't that answer that question?
11: Well, that's exactly the reaction that I think has been a problem in the past, uh, which is it just, you know, again, just reacting to this incident by immediately putting the department under investigation doesn't necessarily result in, 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 in improving the situation. But I would say that in the first instance, the governor has announced an investigation of the police department. The governor, Governor Waltz, a Democratic governor, is investigating the police department. The Attorney General of Minnesota is looking into the police department. We stand ready uh, to act if we think it's necessary, but I don't think uh, uh, necessarily starting a, a, a pattern of practice investigation at this stage is warranted Another thing is we have to look at some of the evidence. I mean, people, you know, the fact is that the criminal justice system at both the state and the federal level moved instantaneously on this, and we moved quickly with our investigation. But we still have to look into uh, what kind of use of force policies uh, are used in that department, what the training has been, and things like that. That's not something we can do overnight.
4: Uh... I want to ask you about some of the events of the week.
0: Okay, here's where it gets good, and we're going to continue this after the break. But let's just listen to the beginning of this. Um, On Monday,
4: Lafayette Park was cleared of protesters. You've spoken about this. Uh, The federal agents who were there report up to you. Did you think it was appropriate for them to use smoke bombs, tear gas, pepper balls, projectiles, at what appeared to be peaceful protesters?
11: They were not peaceful protesters, and that's one of the big lies that the, the media is, is, seems to be perpetuating. Three of my widespread. CBS but
4: colleagues were there. We talked to yeah. them. They did not hear warnings. They did not see. There those were three protesters warnings.
11: There were three warnings anything. given. But, but let's get back to why we took that action. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, okay, there were uh, violent riots in at, at Lafayette Park, where the park police were under constant attack at the. Uh, behind their bike rack fences. They were battling over the fences. They were trying to get entry. They were throwing bricks uh, and uh, an inflammable liquid at the police. One-fifth of there have been 750 uh, officers hurt in the last week. One-fifth of those have been in Washington, DC. Most of those have been federal officers at Lafayette Park. On Sunday, things reached a crescendo. The officers were pummeled with bricks. Crowbars were used to pry up the the pavers at the park, and they were hurled at police. There were fires uh, set in not only St. John's Church, but a historic building at Lafayette was burned down.
4: These were things that looters did.
11: Not looters. These were these were the the, the violent rioters who were uh, dominated uh, Lafayette Park. But i They broke about into the Treasury Monday Department when it was a I'm, peaceful protests. Let me let me get to this because this has been totally obscured by the media. They broke into the Treasury Department and uh, they were injuring oh. police. Uh, that night. Sunday park, night. Sunday night, the park police prepared a plan.
0: Did you hear that? They broke into the treasury department right. So peaceful protesters they say. Uh strong dictatorship they say. Mhm. We see. I'll see you guys after this short break. Real news. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I want to start this hour with just telling you what you're going to hear toward the end of this hour is something that all of us felt, all of us know, but couldn't really put our finger on it. So you have to wonder when you hear um, people in leadership positions speak You have to wonder how much of it is doublespeak. That's all I have to say for what we're going to be hearing now. Um, And I I don't want to say position, just A.G. Barr, right? Because we're listening to A.G. Barr talking about the systemic racism in our prisons. You heard him about corrections and how President Trump is correcting them. But let's not forget, he is the one that orchestrated and crafted the legislation of such as Attorney General for Bush. He helped Hillary Clinton fill up the prisons. He helped create that super predator thing. Now, redemption is always something that I look forward to. But never ever do I take it very, I want to say I I won't take it lightly. We have to be very, very careful going forward. How we um, digest Analyze and accept information. Uh, I just saw a tweet go out um, from Chris Berg. Remember where that uh, chief deputy of police uh, resigned Uh and how, you know, they went forward. Chris Berg did this cringeworthy interview with One Fargo um, and the local Black Lives Matter chapter. Um, It made me cringe, but... um, They're holding an emergency press conference at a gazebo in Fargo to share information they've obtained about the protest on May 30th. And they say this information is regards to the activities of former Deputy Chief Osmondson. Do you remember where I told you that they're having white liberals, the crazy ones, the Karens, because those are the white liberals, the Karens, how they are telling them to go shave their head and do things. Now, we all know that Black Lives Matter was something created from people that felt oppressed, that were still in communities like Flint, Michigan, where, you know, they were treated like citizens of a lesser God. I mean, their own own elected officials flipped the switch to give them crappy water. I mean, they didn't care. I get it. But they've been hijacked by the groups that I'm going to introduce you to that you may not know exist and you will hear who established them. But before we get there, since we're going to talk about this, let's listen to what William Barr, our Attorney General, has to say.
11: To clear H Street and put a, a larger perimeter around the White House so they could build a more permanent fence on Lafayette.
4: This is something you approved on Sunday night?
11: No. The park police on their own on on Sunday night determined this was the proper approach. When I came in Monday, it was clear.
0: Is she arguing that we shouldn't protect the White House? We should just torch it, right? We should just get rid of everything we have in this nation to appease people. So we shouldn't create a better barrier, right? They took over, you know, they broke into the treasury, but we should just let them run into the White House, like the mayor said. Okay, okay, I see where you're at.
11: to me that we did have to increase the perimeter on that side of Lafayette Park and push it out one block. That decision was made by me in the morning. It was communicated to all the police agencies, including the Metropolitan Police, at two pm that day. the The effort was to move the perimeter one block. And it had to be done when we had enough people in place to achieve that and that decision as I say was communicated to the police at 2 p.m. the operation was run by the park police Mm -hmm. the park police uh, was facing what they considered to be a very uh, rowdy and and non-compliant crowd and there were projectiles being hurled at the police and at that point It was not to respond. On
4: Monday, you're saying there were projectiles? On Monday. Yes, they were. As I'm saying, three of my colleagues were there. They did not see projectiles being thrown.
11: I was there. I was there. They were thrown. I saw them thrown.
4: And you believe that what the Park Police did using tear gas and projectiles was
1: appropriate?
11: Here's what the media is missing. This was not an operation to respond to that particular crowd. It was an operation to move the perimeter one block.
4: And the methods they used, you think, were appropriate? Is that When what they met saying?
11: resistance, yes.
4: Of course they were.
11: They announced three times. They didn't move. By the way, there was no tear gas used. The tear gas was used Sunday when they had to clear 8th Street to allow the fire department to come in to save St. John's Church. That's when tear gas was used.
4: There it, were chemical irritants, the part. No, there were not chemical subset.
11: irritants. Pepper spray is not a chemical irritant. It's not chemical
4: pepper spray you're saying yeah,
11: pepper
4: balls right and you believe
0: that was appropriate i just I, I want of course it was appropriate these people torched saint john are we kidding tell me are we kidding this is where you see the insanity i don't know how Barr is keeping a straight face he's looking at her like are you serious did you just say that so we're supposed to just let a mob torch things of latest... Well, first, the
11: attorney — yeah, well, I, I think, that as I understand it, the Park Police and the Secret Service, they were the ones who carried out uh, the movement of the crowd back one block, uh, and I think they used their standard crowd control protocols.
4: So if all, of, if all of that's true, why didn't this happen at another time of day? Why did it have to happen in the middle of the day, just moments before the president gives a press conference, and then walks to the area where the protesters had been standing. What well, did uh, they do in the middle of the night, when the crowd thins? move the perimeter?
11: Well, in, in, the, middle, in the middle of the night, uh, the, the night before, which was Sunday, the law enforcement contingent was spent. They had lost 60 officers. In fact, in order to make the movement the next day, they had to bring in Virginia police departments to supplement the units that were there. We had to build up enough people to control the situation and move it out. We were trying to do it as quickly as possible. After 2 o'clock, I heard that there was one point at which there were 300 protesters and and the line could be more easily moved, but we didn't have the the trained, crowd control people in place to do it, Uh, and officers have to sleep. So on Sunday, it was a period where we were bringing in the required elements to do this, uh, and to back it up, and to make sure, if things got out of hand, we had adequate people there to deal with it. So, as soon as the uh, elements were in place, it was done. The uh, it was it was handled by the park police officer, mm-hmm. the tactical commander, and it was carried out as soon as they felt they could.
4: What What you're describing is just a confluence of events and coincidental timing. But no. what I want what I want, no, it's not coincidental. He said no. What I want to show you is what. A lot of people at home who were watching this on television saw and their perception of events. I want you to see what the public at home saw. president of law
8: and order and an ally of all peaceful protesters. But in recent days, our nation has been gripped by professional anarchists.
0: So they have it side by side showing the president in 645 saying that it's been gripped by anarchists. It has been. You can see all of them having skateboards ready to smash, people with masks, people with weapons, and then things exploding, which most of those things exploding are also theirs. See, what they what they omitted here is that cities across the nation that had riots had car bombs that were caught before they went off, had bombs planted around police stations and key buildings, But peaceful protests. This is what the news are doing to you. They are giving you rubbish. They are telling you rubbish. And this is where it's at. They think you're stupid. So they'll just push more stupid and nonsensical things. You can drop the audio, please. In an environment where
4: the broader debate is about heavy handed use of force and law enforcement. Was that the right message for Americans to be receiving?
11: Well, the message is sometimes communicated by the media. I didn't see any uh, video being played on the media of what was happening Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, but but I, this all I heard of was events. all I heard was comments about how peaceful the protesters were. I didn't hear about the fact that there were 150 law enforcement officers injured and many taken to the hospital with concussions. Uh, so, uh, it wasn't a peaceful protest. We had to get control over Lafayette Park, and we had to do it as, as soon as we were able to do that. But uh, you
4: understand the, how these events appear connected.
11: The well, it's the job of noticed. the media to tell the truth. They were not Well, this connected. is what
4: I'm asking you. Did you know, when you gave the green light for these actions to be taken, that the president was going to be going to that very same area for a photo op?
11: I gave the green light at 2 o'clock. Obviously, I didn't know. That the president was going to be speaking later that day,
4: you had no idea. No,
11: I, no, I do not.
4: Do you? The see-
11: go-ahead was given at two o'clock, and to do it as soon as we were able to do it, to move the perimeter.
0: Wait a minute, you guys! Did you see what you just found out? That the media is salty. That the president walked over to the burnt-down cathedral with a Bible. And they say, well, you created an extra perimeter to keep him safe, which, by the way, is his obligation. And so it is for every person serving in any agency in this nation. They're upset that there could be a possibility that he tried to protect the president for what she called a photo op. Disgusting. That is disgusting. Very disgusting, Mrs. Brennan.
11: From from H Street to I Street.
0: We're both Catholic. I know you're observant.
4: You're a devout Catholic. Archbishop Gregory of Washington condemned what happened mm-hmm. by gassing peaceful protesters. There,
11: there was no gassing. Mean.
4: Is is doing is what we saw there doing what you meant. When you were on that call with governors, and you said to dominate the streets, Mm -hmm. is that what law enforcement is supposed to be taking away from this?
11: No, on the contrary. My point to the governors and and what I was saying was uh, that it's important when you're dealing with civil disturbances to have adequate uh, forces at hand and out and about so you can control events and not be controlled by events and that it's more dangerous for everybody if you have these wild melees with thinly manned police lines running after protesters with batons and that and that it's important to have adequate forces on the street Uh, and so we were encouraging them where they were stretched thin uh, to to call out National Guard if necessary to restore order that's what I was talking about I would say that that this particular actually police have to move protesters, sometimes peaceful demonstrators, for a short distance, in order to accomplish public safety. And that's what was done here.
4: So there was nothing that you think should have been done differently in hindsight?
11: Well, you know, I I haven't studied the the events retrospectively in detail, but I think, in general, you had the the qualified law enforcement officials uh, with uh, shields warning and moving uh, a line uh, slowly Uh, They had mounted officers moving slowly, directing people to move. And most people complied. There was a small group that hung back and wrestled with the police officers, trying to tear their shields from them. In one case, struggling to get one of the police officers' guns. Uh, Those people were subdued.
0: All right. All right. What a whitewash of an interview. Barr should have been a little bit stronger on that. I would have been super hard on that. But it's okay. He did all right. You know, that's, that's, that's where it is. And we have the news media telling us how the president is straggling behind in regards to, uh, you know, his polls because, you know, remember 98% Hillary is going to win. Uh, you know, we have all that. But now uh, what I want people to listen to is how Jeff Bezos was very, very upset at a customer after receiving a scathing, you know, email from them saying, how dare you fund Black Lives Matter? And, you know, I told you who Jeff Bezos is. I mean, someone's going to have to take the place of Soros, right? I told you.
2: Being an angry customer on blast, the Amazon CEO sharing an email criticizing his support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Bezos taking a screenshot of the email and then posted it on Instagram. The customer writing in part, I was placing an order with your company when I discovered your statement of support for Black Lives Matter. I cancel my order, and I know for a fact I won't be the only one. Bezos addressing the man directly, saying he was the "quote" kind of customer. Customer, I'm happy to lose. Lee, your reaction? To how this fits into kind of the corporate response of the unrest and the protests that we've seen across the country following George Floyd's death?
3: Yeah, we're seeing an unprecedented response um, by companies in support of Black Lives Matter in this moment. Uh, This is a real tipping point, I think, in racial relations. I think this is a real tipping point for companies uh, really doubling down and committing to diversity and inclusion. And all of this is a symbolic moment for for, for companies to express that. I also think at the same time, there's some confusion about what Black Lives Matter means. I think a lot of customers out there hear companies saying this, and they hear defunding the police. They hear um, things that that Black Lives Matter might've meant for this moment. Um, And so I think that the company's responsibility at this moment is to be really clear about what it is that they're suggesting, what it is that they stand for, and what it is that they stand against. Um, Otherwise, I think we're going to see an equal and opposite measure. Uh, than what we're seeing right now
2: i just want to point out the difference between the talk and the walk and amazon is a giant monopoly that's gotten more powerful uh during the coronavirus shutdown so let's raise that issue but in terms of the the talk versus the walk apple tim cook you know came out with a statement nine percent of the u.s employees at apple are black
0: oh my gosh nine percent you mean like your janitors and coffee makers that's the truth I mean look at it here is what defunding the police um, discussions were had on Fox business I want you guys to listen to this because we need to talk about this just a little bit because this makes sense as to where we're, where I'm going with this Departments, what do you say to
2: that
12: well I think that it's a real problem because when we look at the systematic policies of departments they're primarily assigned there to provide police services or they're basically public services so to speak only 10 percent of police is is enforcement related so when we go back to the defunding of police i see this as more of a moratorium as opposed to putting the brakes on the funding and so moving forward we have to understand what the social contract consists of it's providing protections for The citizens in the midst of government assistance. This is just really a problematic endeavor. And I don't see this as something that's going to come to fruition. But unfortunately, when we see what's occurring in Minneapolis, this can possibly set a precedence moving forth and agenda. That would be very harmful and dangerous to us as the United States, I see something similar happening in Los Angeles in the terms of reverting um, removing a hundred million dollars in a budget. The Blasio here in New York is looking to move to something that's somewhat consistent, but it goes back to. Technological innovations have proven immense success in co- in, re- in in gaining precipitous drops in crimes. So, as a result of that, we're going to gain we're going to lose a lot of those gains that we've accomplished over the last 15 to 20 years, and it's just unfortunate. What happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis, but we need to move forward on a pathway to ensure citizens have the proper safeties in society.
2: I read a study that was written by uh, two law professors, or at least part of it. They published an editorial in The Wall Street Journal last week, and they were talking about the need to track the complaints or make it easier to file a complaint against police officers. They looked at Chicago, and the worst 5% of officers accounted for a third of all civilian complaints. Is that a way to fix some of the problems in police departments?
12: I mean, there's a series of benchmarks that are looking to be implemented. That may in fact be one of them. But when we look at it from a perspective of a 10 year time frame, we've clearly seen a reduction in the amount of force complaints against or just civilian complaints in general against officers. Therefore, there is a process that's already in motion. And it's just unfortunate that we have viral viral videos such as what happened in Mr. Floyd, which is which was a travesty, not to just the African American community, but our community as a whole in the United States. So therefore we need to bring forth the proper stakeholders that being police administrators, elected officials, and community leaders, and they can coalesce on a strategy that can be moving forward because the prism of reducing funding for police, it's clearly a moratorium on police. And that's something to better effectuate policing in the United States as a whole.
0: Huh. Okay. So, we I mean, we we should defund the police, right? I mean, take a listen to what Rudy Giuliani has to say. Wouldn't it be great if he was mayor again of New York City? All of this would go away. And we're going to be breezing through commercials because it's important that we listen to all of this. Because this is where you're going to see how a plan that they put in place, which was supposed to go another way, has been deterred, delayed, and almost quashed, as long as we keep talking, by President Donald J. Trump, so you understand how much they hate him.
5: New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio today lifting the citywide curfew after 10 straight nights of protests. De Blasio has been taking heat from all sides over his handling of the George Floyd demonstrations. Many now calling on him to resign. Last week, former New York City Mayor and President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, joined me on Mornings with Maria on Fox Business. Watch this.
7: The mayor should step down. He is incompetent. We are, losing, we, we are losing a tremendous amount of property. We're seeing people damaged and hurt, ser- seriously. And pretty soon we're going to lose some lives if this man doesn't get out of the way and let someone activate the police department.
5: And joining me right now once again is Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy, it's good to see you this morning. Thanks very much for joining us. No signs you, that Maria. de Blasio is going to step down. Is New York safe?
7: No. Uh, it's safer. I mean, he did, he did react to uh, what I said and what the governor said and, and a number of other people. It wasn't just me. That, and he did activate the police somewhat, but still with a lot of uh, things that aren't being done, including things, I mean, so, some of the things he did obviously angered the left, but some of the things that he could do, for example, why isn't he using uh, policemen on horseback? Uh, I use policemen on horseback to end crime in Times Square and uh, you just put them out, they can see in a crowd much better. They, they can easily distinguish the Antifa troublemakers and the uh, legitimate protesters. They can see within a crowd that somebody is getting ready to throw a rock before they throw it, or getting a Molotov cocktail ready. It's totally insane that he's not using it. It can't be that those police professionals aren't recommending it. They're too smart. So he, he doesn't want to do it. And I understand he doesn't want to do it because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble with the animal people. So I mean, that's
5: the kind well, of guy we got. extraordinary. Sitting in city Rudy, when you look at the, the, the street, <laughs> I mean, you I mean, look it, up it, Madison it, it, Avenue, look downtown, the village in Soho, he, he boarded city- up. It looks like a war zone in New York. Look at this New York Times headline. The editorial board uh, of the New York Times writes this to de Blasio. Open your eyes. The police are out of control. What can Governor Cuomo do about it at this point? And, and, and Rudy, I mean, these thousands on the streets of New York City for a tenth day in a row, how much longer can this go on?
7: Uh, well, it can't go on for much longer. I mean, they, ha- they, have, they have been peaceful. They were yesterday and they were the day before. It does put a tremendous strain on the police department. And, it's, and, the, poli- and the idea that the police department and the New York Times, that the police department has been out of control is totally crazy. I mean, it's a complete construct of the left. It's like the hysteria they've create, created over police brutality. And, and last year, only nine black men, were, unarmed black men, were shot by police officers. Uh, 20 white men were, and blacks were killed 99% of the time by other people, civilians. About 80 percent black and then everybody else so basically police right, well, brutality when it happens is shocking and terrible but it's not at all it's not even close to systemic it's very rare actually and that's just the truth and, and uh, that's and, not and racist you've the got opposite this movement is, I mean, you can't say that
5: well you're right because the truth it, is when you look it, at the numbers uh, it's black on black shootings uh really the most prevalent well, but there's this movement 99% now to defund of the, time. the police i'm sorry
7: Totally crazy, totally crazy. If if you truly care about black lives, who the defund right? the
5: police movement, Rudy? You've got you've got left lawmakers people, people. like AOC, Omar, Talib, uh, all pushing to defund the police. Celebrities like John Legend, Jane Fonda, uh, signing this open letter. What are the implications of this? What kind of services will be you know pushed in okay. if if, if you do have this, this defund the, imp- the police?
7: the implications of this it would be devastating for the black community much more than the white community. They cannot care about black lives. I mean, the, the, the idea that the that, that black lives matter would want to defund the police tells you it is a phony organization. I mean, the police kill a minuscule number of black people. Other black people kill five, 6,000 black other black people a year. The only thing that reduces that is the police. When I came into office, Uh, blacks were being killed four times more, maybe five than they are now. I, I didn't stop it by disbanding the police. I didn't stop it with social workers or the New York Times. I stopped it with putting a lot more police officers in Harlem than my predecessors did and taking heat in the white communities for doing that because I was really interested in saving black lives and not just political propaganda or bull. This is tragic. This is where political ideology run amok costs lives like de Blasio has done to, to, to the city. You will literally what do you think? double, triple the number of black victims if you take the police out of uh, these neighborhoods. That's, it's insane. What do you think and of and Joe Biden's cool.
5: response? Uh, Joe Biden said that Trump is completely oblivious, then said that 10 to 15 percent of Americans are not good people. I I don't know. He he said the staff donates to a group paying bail uh, for the rioters, meanwhile. And yet, I mean, his staff is paying for some rioters to get out on bail. Uh, And then he said the 10 to 15 percent of Americans are not good people. What do you think he meant by that? (laughs) uh,
7: Well, I don't know what he meant by it. I don't know much uh, that he means anything by anything. When he said that Trump is oblivious, I mean, that's kind of like looking in the mirror, isn't it? I mean, that's projection. Uh, I guess even with his deteriorated mental state, he can still project. I mean, the guy is oblivious. If you can't see that this man is sick, then there's something wrong with him. And we've got a lot of smart people on the other side and a lot of smart people in, the, in, in, the, in his family. And they're running him is so cynical and it shows so much of a disrespect for the United States of America that you could try to put a man in that mental condition in the White House. It's frightening. How um, we 've lost any sense of, of, of caring about the country, the man mentally can 't function Rudy, you wouldn't hire him you wouldn't the, hire him to run your store i wouldn 't hire the him to run is a store is there are, there are criticisms
5: coming from there are criticism coming from your side as well. I mean there's a report this morning that says former President George W. Bush and Senator Mitt Romney will not support oh, oh. donald trump 's reelection in November, according to a report this morning no kidding. Uh,
7: how come I'm not shocked Jeff by that? Jeff
5: Bush said he's not sure how he'll vote, but uh, he's pretty much in line with their thinking as well.
7: So so there are a few people that are disgruntled. Uh, Romney has uh, has had a chip on his shoulder from the day he gave a speech four years ago that Trump would take us to war or destroy the country. Or I mean, go back and look at the predictions. They turn out to all be wrong. Uh, he's voted against everything he can to try to to try to uh, stop his agenda. It's, it's, I know Mitt, and I know the Bushes. I have a different reaction to the two of them. Uh, uh, Mitt's, Mitt Mitt, doesn't know what he believes. I mean, here's a guy that was pro-life, and then he was pro-choice, and who the hell knows what he is now. The Bushes are hurt. They're in, internally hurt. And I, my view is, get over it. I mean, the reality is this country is bigger than your personal anger at Trump because he you know, he took, took off after Jeb and he ruined him. He absolutely ruined him. Mm. Uh, but you don't have to let him ruin you if you just get up and start making rational decisions now. But there's a personal anger. There's a personal anger that's affecting their decisions. And I'm very disappointed in them because the difference between Trump and, and Biden is so palpable for anyone who has Republican values. If what you really believed in all your life, as you, as you ran on, is low taxes, an emphasis on law and order, a um, a strong foreign policy, maybe not exactly yours, but certainly a strong one, and not all this crazy anarchist views that are all around Biden,
0: and, and they're going to support a man who's mentally incompetent. No, they're going to support a man who helped establish... What I'm gonna introduce to you. So what we're gonna listen to is a short clip of Camarota. Remember, Allison Camarota with my old account. <laughs> she she didn't like what I put out on her uh, with my personal Twitter account that I had, and uh, then she like took out her Twitter. Remember. Take a listen to this conversation.
5: Have a, have a state action against our police department, which gives us legal mechanisms in the very short term. You know, there's lessons from all over the country, all over the world that we're looking to, yeah. um, to take immediate steps while we work toward building the systems that we would need to imagine that, that future.
1: Do you understand that the word dismantle or police-free also makes some
2: people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night... My home is broken into. Who do I call?
5: Yes, I mean, I I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege. Because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality, where calling the police may mean more harm is done.
0: What? More harm is done. So... I guess this circles back to what I said last week. We need the police to go on strike and forward all those phone calls to the governors and mayors calling out for this. Take a listen to Tim Walls of Minneapolis.
13: There's so so many emotions. It's just the senselessness of it. We
11: understand the rage at what happened uh, to George Floyd. We understand the desire to change, but then to see the peripheral damage that was done to the very community that's hurting. And uh, I think for me, it was... About the people on the ground and these legislators and the folks who were elected. These are the folks who were on the ground standing next to business owners when their business was burning, calling us up and telling us what can we do. And, uh, we got to figure out. I mean, I understand there was a lot of things going on, but society's held together. When you call 911, you want the police or the fire department to yeah. show up to support you, yeah. not to, uh, not to cause problems for you.
0: Well, that's something that happened in Minnesota, remember, guys? Remember in Minneapolis where the Somali Muslim was upset at the Australian white woman calling because she was scared and he just shot her? You know, she called for help and he shot her. But, you know, there were no protests on that. None that he said, well, she's white, who cares? Nope, nope. We just continue on like nothing mattered. All these other black lives, white lives, pink lives, red lives, polka dot lives that go every single day. Right. (laughs) Because we do have bad eggs everywhere. I mean, look, top seats in the FBI, super bad eggs. But let's circle to what we hear today. Listen to who is talking. I'm going to take you back into time so you can talk amongst yourselves, this evening with your friends and family and understand just how well planned this is. Like we said, patience is a virtue and a lot of us out there are using any means necessary to make uh, this information come to the surface, no matter what platforms are used and how. So take a listen to this. This is going to shock you. Joe Biden was there, by the way, too.
14: Me To quote a pop song, like putting out fire with gasoline. It feeds antagonism and resentment and fosters the extremist tentacular uh, spread. To truly combat violent uh, extremism, we must embody its opposite, principled inclusion. We need real clarity about the truth of what has happened, coupled with a determined openness to the benefits and trust that accrue when governments truly serve their people and civil society is given its rightful voice. We must ensure economic justice, political and social power sharing, a deep and broad process that embraces the diversity of our societies and the rights of every individual. And this is where you come in. Uh, What are strong cities? Uh, They need not be wealthy or abuzz with digital tech. What they must do is inspire the great and resilient bonds of community via the provision of the basic services that underpin a life of dignity and the recognition that each individual is able and entitled to contribute to public life.
0: Now, before we continue, I'm going to tell you which one of these are these resilient cities anaheim california atlanta georgia aurora denver chattanooga tennessee aurora denver i said aurora colorado denver colorado chattanooga tennessee los angeles california louisville kentucky montgomery county alabama in the united states montgomery alabama Uh, new york new york pittsburgh and san diego these are where we have the heads of what de blasio is going to talk about now because here he is, four years ago, talking.
15: Uh, I want to thank all of you for being a part of this discussion. I want to welcome you as mayor of New York City. This is a time of year where we're honored uh, to host the United Nations and to host leaders from around the world and to recognize the power that these gatherings bring. And I want to say to my fellow mayors, uh, we are in the vanguard of change around the world, as the High Commissioner indicated. And we should hold ourselves to a high standard. We're able to do things locally uh, that in many ways can uh, set the pace for our national governments and for the international community. So really there should be nowhere better at inclusion and understanding and diversity and openness. No part of our world should be better at that than our cities. So we have a special obligation to achieve those ideals and to show our people that we're relentlessly working on them. I want to thank as well uh, someone key to this process, Sasha Havlicek, the CEO of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, and she's been a key player in bringing Strong, the Strong Cities Network to life. Thank you, Sasha, for your great leadership. And we thank you for all you've done to bring today together. Now, This city never could have achieved all it has achieved without tremendous diversity and the acknowledgement and respect for diversity. I often say if New York City has had a secret formula, it has been that it was from its very origins uh, as the city of today, it has been a place that uh, rewarded uh, inclusion and people from all over the world in a way that wasn't true in many other places. Something about being an open city and an inclusive city actually drew the most positive energies of people from all over the world and allowed us to be what we are. So we don't see a diversity. Uh, as a negative or something to manage or overcome, we see diversity as prerequisite to success, and we see it as a vibrant part of a working democracy. This is, I think, therefore a fitting place to talk about the launch of the Strong Cities Network and what it can mean and what it can achieve. This network uh, is different It is unlike any other effort that we've seen before to counter violent extremism because it recognizes the tools the High Commissioner spoke of. It recognizes that some of the most powerful impediments to violence are uh, some of the most human and grassroots dynamics within our reach, that uh, creation of an atmosphere and a reality of equality and respect and inclusion and that that formula is powerful in all parts of the world. This network recognizes that the first and most sacred calling of government is to protect our people, to protect their lives and their well-being. But that to do that, we have to redouble our focus on those things that uh, ennoble us the most, our respect for human rights, our respect for civil liberties and our focus on learning from that which works, not from uh, broad ideas that are not put into practice, but from trying things on the ground at the grassroots and learning together what actually works and what moves hearts and minds and what brings people closer together. These are principles we can act on through the Strong Cities Network. I think so many of us, through the work we've done in our cities, we understand something fundamental.
0: What is that, though, right? You have to ask yourself what that is. What is it that they're actually talking about? Well, let's listen to John Kerry tell us, right? Because you know what? This group of police, global police, has been funded by the State Department. Yes. So this... Global network of mayors and policymakers and practitioners was actually seed funded by the US State Department under Barack Hussein Obama. And it's and if you actually look at those nations and cities that are part of it, it'll blow your mind. So let's listen to Secretary Kerry corrupt Secretary Kerry talk about it.
13: It's actually a great work yours your team everybody involved in this effort, all of our partners across the State Department and other federal agencies, and uh, thank you very much for organizing this workshop. Uh, And Thank you all for coming, uh, some of you from quite far away, and we really appreciate uh, the fact that you're here as our partners uh, from around the world uh, in order to tackle an issue that obviously affects everybody in the world today, uh, one way or the other. And everybody has a role to play in countering violent extremism. Uh, The fact is that uh, the battle against violent extremism does not begin on some distant battlefield, Uh, but it's in our own neighborhoods and in classrooms and workplaces and houses of worship and homes and we've learned that lesson in bitter ways. We've learned it pretty realistically. Uh, there are many, many countries, ours included, that have <clears throat> young people, by and large, almost always, who have been seduced into believing that somehow uh, life is better at blowing people up uh, and living according to the dictates of someone else rather than the choices that you yourself make. And what people learn very quickly when they get sucked into one of these enterprises is how deprived and stark and horrendous life itself can be. We know this because we know people who are survivors who have escaped. And regrettably, too many people uh, are executed summarily when their captors mental captors, physical captors, uh, learn that they are, in fact, disaffected and perhaps contemplating escape. So we know these lessons. We're learning them. And the question is whether or not we're going to apply them in a thoughtful way in order to protect ourselves for the long term. Uh, Windsor, Canada, uh, learned this very much in a firsthand way last year two of their native sons – both in their 20s – had gone to Syria in order to join the terrorists of Daesh. And when Windsor learned this, the citizens of that community were upset. Uh, But they were also determined that they weren't just going to be upset, they were going to do something about it. They were going to try to prevent that kind of tragedy from happening yet again. And as a leader of the Windsor Islamic Association said, these two individuals think the best option is to go overseas and fight, they're not seeing any other option that is viable. Think about that. People come to a place in their life where they don't think there's another option that's viable. Well, that's not their problem. That's also our problem. It's a problem of civic leadership. It's a problem of education system. It's a problem of families and homes and the network of the community. And so Windsor's leaders in, in – in, inside and outside of government – both – sought to show definitively that turning to terrorism was no option at all. Religious organizations, schools, nonprofits, volunteers, organized basketball – something as simple as giving people something to do, getting people together, realizing that there was more life outside of their head and outside of their connection on the internet or wherever it was that they began to be radicalized. uh, They organized soccer tournaments in order to connect these local youth with law enforcement. And they hosted community meetings in order to show ways for people to be able to intervene when you began to get a sense that someone was beginning to become radicalized. They reached out to experts in other cities in order to help their teachers learn how to identify signs of disaffection in order to begin to notice patterns or begin to see some kid that was outside of the mainstream who might be ripe for the pickings. And they also got counselors, imams, parents, to identify these warning signs before extreme uh, forces could grab them or extreme ideas could inspire them to violence. And above all, they conveyed the message to these young people that they mattered. Sometimes that's what it takes. Uh, You know, everybody's been a teenager, and it's not easy, as we all know. Uh, So sometimes people need a helping hand to get over the hurdles of, of alienation, disaffection, of questions that arise as you begin to learn about life and are confronted with choices like many other cities in this hemisphere – Europe, the Middle East, Africa, Asia – Windsor recognized that it is local communities where policies touch people, where basic services can be delivered, human needs can be met, and where families first begin to look for security, and particularly where boys and girls begin to navigate that path to adulthood Uh, to identity, to meaning, and to respect. Put simply, it is undeniable, I think, at this point, that local communities are the place where you can best take the fight against radicalization and violent extremism. That is the place where it has to begin, and that's what you all have recognized and that's what brings you here. So this is groundbreaking. This is important. It, it, It sounds pretty basic and pretty simple, but There are just so many places that haven't even begun to wrap their arms around this simple notion. So, yes, it is also true that national policies and global coalitions will also uh, be absolutely critical in the effort to degrade and destroy terrorist networks. That's what we're doing in Syria. That's what we're doing in Libya. That's what we're doing in the region in building a 66-nation coalition that is actively involved on every single front of this fight – not just the kinetic, not just strikes that are dropping a bomb, but cutting off finance, cutting off the the Internet connections and getting counter-social media message, becoming engaged in preventing foreign fighters from traveling from one airport to another, uh, and so forth. but All of us understand this is not a short-term, overnight battle. It's a long-term effort. I mean, there are millions upon millions of kids out there. Country after country – I'm stunned as I travel around as Secretary of State and I go to these countries and I read the stats on the particular country, and it's 70 percent under the age of 35, 60 percent under the age of 30, 50 percent under the age of 21. I mean, think about that. And if those kids aren't in a classroom and in
0: aren't in a classroom where we can indoctrinate them and have them say the things we want. See 66 nations coming together under one police force where we could take out things, take out the internet, train them how to unite together because we need a global policing. Uh, You know, US cities have to reverse this extremism, this counterculture. We need to stop Racism, we need to do all this. This is what he's telling you. And look who else is supporting this and who signed
1: off. I want to thank you for your words of inclusion, particularly on the issue of gender equality. (laughs) The issue of women's place in the world and the issue of women's role in the economies and our futures is one that I think is key to not just this debate, but to every debate of our time. So I want to thank you for that as well, as well as for the work that the UN Habitat Program does and the leadership that you've shown there. We're all coming together today. We're all working to build a future of sustainable peace, of development opportunity, and it is really a pleasure to be with so many friends and colleagues. I want to also thank all of the mayors and other municipal leaders who are here today those who could not be here, but everyone who is joining this cause, helping to ensure safe and prosperous futures for our communities and our world. Uh, the steering committee of the Strong Cities Network deserves so much thanks.
0: They do, because I'm going to tell you what they've been pushing. Oh, just so you know, uh, Stronger Cities, a Strong Cities Network, like this global police that the UN have put together, uh, also guide this. Listen to this. According to a recent study conducted by a network for religious and traditional peacemakers in collaboration with Finn Church Aid. Guess what? Soros funded. Muslim for Human Rights. What? Same sentence? Kenyan Muslim Youth Alliance. You mean the one that Al-Shabaab uses for recruitment? People believe that the police are performing their duties with professionalism and integrity, are more likely to obey laws and support the system by coming forward with information. What? One of the reasons why conviction rates of people accused of terrorism in nations like Kenya are low is because uh, they volunteer to come forward as witnesses during trials. I'm sorry. So this is titled, Can Law Enforcement Be a Positive Actor for Change? You watch. What? One Fargo, you know, that little chapter, Black Lives Matter, this Antifa front has to say today. And remember this article that I just read an excerpt of. Because this, this is what it's all about. This is what they're doing. COVID-19, Corona Jihad, misinformation, and anti-Muslim violence in India. You know why? Because Pakistan is one of the cities that they have part of this group, but not India. Right? The United Kingdom, all these nations that spurred up, like Kosovo, Macedonia, you know, the things they created. Djibouti, Germany is part of this. Denmark is part of this. You don't see Greece. You don't see Italy. I'm just saying. Albania, Peru, Philippines, Jordan, Hmm. the Hague, lots of northern Macedonia. I mean, that was the diffusion right there. There's no such thing as Macedonia, but whatever. They have their own summits. They push ideas. So this is one faction. Do you know how many there are? But this is the global police faction. The one that our our previous administration said we must have. No. We do not need that. We do not need other people in our business at all. Why do we need that? We don't. But they're telling you you do. And they're telling you that our nation needs help from globalists because we're too dumb to deal with it ourselves. They don't want law and order. They want full-blown control, full-blown control. Now, will we hand it over or will we stop them? That's the question on everyone's mind. The only way to stop them is by taking control of your nation. The United States of America isn't just mine. It isn't just for all of us working in the shadows to make sure that our constitution is honored and upheld. It is your job too, because you're a citizen of this nation. And it is important. It is very important that we remember that, that we remember that we are responsible for everything that happens in our vicinity, in our nation around us. For those of you that are just standing by and sitting on your hands, mm. oh, and for those of you that are like, oh, trust the plan. Listen, man, that wasn't up for anyone else. Do you know how many times I sit down with other fellow journalists where we're investigating something, going undercover, and we have a plan out? What is the response? Yo, just trust the plan. Let's just stick to the plan. Trust it. That's how we talk. We have a plan, we gotta trust it and stay with it. Doesn't mean it's for you. Just saying. Just saying. Now, moving forward, what do we have to do? Open our eyes. I can peek forward so that I can look back and provide to you steps to avoid what's coming forward. Just like many others can. I guess historians can more. Where are all my historians at? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they here painting a picture for us to understand exactly what they're doing? Strengthening our strategic planning and practices to address violent extremism in all its form by collaborating with other cities and municipalities across the globe. What, what commonalities does the United States have with Germany? Zero. What commonalities does the United States have with Kenya? Zero. So, why are we collaborating so they could tell us how to deal with racism? Ah, because the UN needs it. This is the problem. Let's get a broom and let's get going on the State Department. Because every person in there that was put in there to help clean it up was pushed out. And tomorrow, it'll be a little bit exciting. Just letting you know that. On that note, God bless everyone, stay safe, stay loud, and participate in everything from all of us here at Red State. God bless. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.